We live in an increasingly globalised world. In a matter of seconds, thanks to the internet, I can be talking to a person on the other side of the globe, from a completely different cultural background. The question is, how much can we really understand each other? Even if we share a spoken language, the environment in which we were brought up is a determining factor in how we process the world we live in. In much the same way as every human experiences colour in a different way, it is often difficult to articulate how we see the world and how that differs to other people. My essay looks at the diplomatic encounters between the East and the West, both in inverted commas, by delving into the murky world of 16th century diplomacy carried out in Constantinople. From looking at Venetian diplomatic reports, it becomes clear that not only was there an effective language of communication through ritual and ceremony, but also that both the Venetian ambassadors and their Ottoman counterparts were able to successfully use and manipulate the language of ritual for their own gain. I'll just explain a little bit about what I mean by this. When a Venetian ambassador arrived in the city, he was met by dignitaries and escorted through the city to the Topkapi Palace with great pomp and ceremony. In his reports back to the Senate in Venice, the diplomat went into often excruciatingly precise detail about physical positioning, where he stood, where everyone else was stood, the route he took, who came with him, who he went to see. When you first read these, you're trying not to drift off or assume that this man was a little bit strange. But then you read more of them and you start to realise that this was all a crucial part of the embassy. The use of space was an almost universal language for communication. When the Ottoman state controlled the space in which the ambassador moved, it could send a powerful ritual message. If, for example, someone is purposefully kept waiting, this was seen as a slight on their honour. Equally, if the ambassador was met by high-ranking officials, this was a sign of great honour. In one episode, an excited Venetian reported to his superiors that he had stood at the bottom of a flight of stairs, and the Ottoman dignitaries had come to meet him. Though a seemingly innocuous statement, it is actually the ambassador passing on a message from the Turks. The ability to remain stationary and have an important group of individuals come to you is a sign of deference and hierarchy. In much the same way as a pompous, self-important CEO might only ever call his or her employees into their office rather than going to see them themselves. The most important part of the essay, though, looks at the diplomacy that took place every day. The huge, ostentatious ceremonies were all well and good, but these happened infrequently. The dispatches sent back to Venice on a regular basis detailed at length the day-to-day -day running of the embassy. Interestingly, very little is ever mentioned about the Sultan or his palace. Instead, in this period, encompassing the early to mid-16th century, the majority of diplomatic activity took place outside the palace in the rest of the city. Ambassadors went to visit viziers and other officials in their homes on a regular basis and entertained prominent and lowly guests in their residences. Crucially, ceremony and ritual were equally important in these daily encounters. Ambassadors, for instance, used space to defer to established hierarchies. When they first arrived in the city, they made sure to visit each vizier in their homes in order of their socio-political standing. Interestingly, this order was maintained throughout the two years an ambassador was resident in Constantinople. Every time the diplomat went to visit more than one vizier, he made sure to tell his superiors that he had seen them in order. The notions of space and hierarchy were intimately linked. Whenever an ambassador reported on military parades, it was often the positioning of troops and individuals that mattered most. Proximity to power was crucial. Whoever was allowed closest to the Sultan in the marching order was clearly the man with the most influence. 
because this was a period of change where the Sultan was increasingly withdrawing from public view, these ceremonies were becoming the only way in which the Ottomans could lay out explicitly the makeup of the court and the hierarchies of status. When reporting back to the Senate, the ambassador had a ready-made example of the layout of the court. In daily encounters, ritual manifested itself in the rhetoric used in discussions. In an almost ritualistic fashion, Venetians and Ottomans often stated who they were representing. So even if the two men had known each other for over two years, in formal negotiations, viziers and ambassadors both stated they were representing their respective sovereigns. But they didn't do this for informal meetings. This could therefore mark a difference between formal and informal meetings. Unlike in European states, much of the administration took place outside the palace, and so formal negotiations could take place in the modest home of a lower-ranking official. To designate it as an important encounter, both parties made sure to use this ritualistic rhetoric. The important point in all of this is that space and ritual were two ways in which Venetian ambassadors and the Ottomans communicated. There was a shared framework in the city within which both the men worked. The precise detail included in Venetian reports back to the Senate are testament to a shared understanding. The ambassadors were constantly looking for shifts in the ceremonial register that could signal a change in status or an opportunity for the advancement of their state. Traditionally, historians have often argued for a cultural gulf between Europe and the Ottoman Empire. The work I've done on Venetian diplomatic reports suggests the opposite. Understanding was built over time between individuals which they then attempted to disseminate through their reports. The accusations of cultural hostility and misunderstanding often rest on an over-reliance on a particular genre, travel logs. These were exoticizing accounts of Turks written for a particular popular audience. Instead, diplomatic reports suggest that through ritual, ceremony and space, good communication was possible.